We are dealing with the end of the world that we know. Russia is a more of a symptom of this than a cause. This really is the end of the world. The end of the world we understand, yeah. We're, we're going back to something that's a lot more similar to the world as it existed in the early 1900s. The closest would be the Black Plague. But the Chinese are going to lose a greater percentage of their population in the next 20 years than Europe did during the, the Black Plague. And just you think aging. by famine? Uh, this assumes no famine. This is just aging. Just aging. Yeah, if you have an energy breakdown or a food breakdown, it happens a lot faster. And they have energy issues, and they have food issues. They are the world's largest importer of energy, about 14 million barrels a day. Remember, we're a net exporter. And they are the world's largest fooder, importer of food and food inputs. That's it? That, that, that's as good as it's going to get, because there is no trade option out of this without the United States. But how does China come through this, though? They don't. So what happens to them if they don't? Well, I mean, this is one of the wild things and the hard parts of my job. It falls into famine. It falls into tyranny. You get hundreds of millions of people suffering from malnutrition and then ultimately dying. Um, this, the coast goes one way. The interior kind of breaks off and shatters. And then the cities of the coast in the south, your Shanghai, your Fujian, your Guangzhou, your Hong Kong, they basically become independent city-states and integrate with foreign powers primarily in order to get food. With the Russians having their problems, the Russian space is the world's largest single supplier fertilizer of all types. So we are already knee deep in a fertilizer crisis globally. The Chinese are the last in line for all of this stuff. 90% of the calories they produce are dependent upon a foreign support system. In the United States, it's less than 10. Um, we, we produce most of what we need locally, and most of the rest comes from Canada. But you interrupt the food supply chain in any meaningful way, and China is only one of a host of countries that has some very real problems. Now, China faces the biggest one in absolute terms because of the size of their population. Uh, second, I will say there are seven different variants circulated in Beijing right now, or in China right now. Three of them did not exist two or three months ago. And it takes about six months of data for you to get good information on the R naught and the lethality. So we just don't know. They're also in they're in the middle of the worst aspect of the pandemic for them ever. Yeah. Now which is very strange for us because <laughs> we're on the other end of it. Yep. And if you have a food or an energy crisis, or God forbid, both at the same time, on top of a health crisis, on top of government incompetence, there is no way a central government holds together in that sort of environment is that they're going to lose a million and a half people because there's no one to listen to anymore. That's one of the fun things about Russia versus China. And it's very difficult for the Xi administration to even run it because it's not an administration anymore. No one wants to bring Xi information on anything. We now have tech barricades that prevent the Chinese from buying the equipment, the tools, or the software that's necessary to make semiconductors. In fact, he went so far as to say any Americans working in the sector have to either quit or give up their American citizenship. Every single one of them either quit or was transferred abroad within 24 hours. So the tech system is stalled. They don't have the young people to go consumption-led. They're completely dependent on the U.S. Navy to access international trade. They are the most vulnerable country in the world right now. And based on how things go with Russia, we're looking at a significant amount of raw materials falling off the map, specifically food and energy. And the Chinese are the world's largest importer of both of those things. Without young people, we've seen their labor costs increase by a factor of 14 since the year 2000. So Mexican labor is now one-third the cost of Chinese labor. 
their educational system focuses on memorization over skills. So despite a trillion dollars of investment in a bottomless supply of intellectual property theft, they really haven't advanced technologically in the last 15 years. Uh, Mexican labor is probably about twice as skilled as Chinese labor now, even though it's one third the cost. Uh, they've consolidated into an ethnic-based, paranoid, nationalistic cult of personality. Even if the Chinese were able to capture Taiwan without firing a shot, it doesn't solve anything for them. They're still food importers. They're still dependent upon the United States. They're still energy importers. And even if they take every single one of those semiconductor fab facilities intact, they don't know how to operate them because they can't operate their own. And their own are among the worst in the world, not the best. If you know that the economic situation is going to go to pot, then you have a couple of options. Option one is you try to cut a deal with a country that can help you out, but the only country that could do that is the United States. So with that sort of environment and ocean moats, the United States is an economic power, whoever who is in charge. I mean, we've, we've had decades of bipartisan effort to try to screw this up, and we haven't pulled it off yet. We're not going to do it under Biden. He doesn't have the energy. Stay at home. That is the order tonight. Stay home. When COVID hit, experts were quick to tell us exactly what to do. Wash your hands, wash yep. your hands, wash your hands. Turns out washing our hands doesn't protect us, but being outdoors does. At the beginning of the pandemic, experts told us stay home, close schools, don't wear masks, do wear masks, disinfect countertops. How to clean and disinfect your home. Now, three years later, we can say who was right and who was wrong. In Florida, the pandemic is raging. The media got a lot wrong. They repeatedly trashed Florida's governor for lifting lockdowns. Governor DeSantis is just acting irresponsibly. While praising New York's governor. Governor Cuomo is doing an amazing job. I'm wowed by what you did. The governor's brother gushed over New York's lockdowns and sneered at Florida's reopening. That's why states like Florida are in such dire straits. But Florida wasn't in dire straits. Florida and New York had about the same number of deaths. And if you take age into account, Florida has more old people. Florida did better than New York. In general, three years later, we see little difference between states that opened up and those that didn't. In fact, the states with the fewest deaths are liberal Vermont and conservative Utah. Around the world, the experts and the media we're just as wrong. Sweden's failed experiment. How their dangerous COVID gamble went wrong. Reporters trashed Sweden. Officials made the decision not to lock down, hoping it would lead to widespread immunity. But cases are surging. Cases were surging then. Deaths too. But allowing people to develop immunity did pay off. Sweden ultimately did better than its neighbors. In fact, Sweden has had fewer excess deaths than most other countries, says the OECD. Did you hear about that from American media that trashed Sweden? I didn't think so. Excess deaths, say researchers, deaths above the pre-COVID average. That's the best way to compare countries' COVID experience. It's because some countries undercount COVID. 
A huge gap between reported deaths and COVID deaths. India reported fewer than a million deaths, but there were probably many more because there were five million excess deaths in India. Former Soviet countries undercounted too. The dictator of Belarus played hockey and said his country was COVID free. Belarus and other former Soviet states claimed they did well, but excess death data show they did terribly. Maxim Lott maps this data and posts it at the website Maximum Truth. His COVID fudge factor reveals the communist culture of hiding the truth is alive and well. Here's the excess death data for the whole world. The dark-shaded countries like Russia, Bulgaria, and Peru did worst. Countries in gray mean there wasn't enough reliable data. Lighter places like Mongolia and Kenya did very well. I was surprised to see that Kenya and Togo and Sub-Saharan Africa did well. Surprised because Africa has low vaccination rates and less high-quality medical care. Lot says it's probably because their population's so young. COVID rarely harms young people. <laughs> what does the data say about countries like Australia, places that impose brutal lockdowns? For anyone who breaches quarantine, they face fines and even jail. The penalties ranging from as much as $50,000 in WA and 12 months behind bars. Australia's rigid rules did save lives, partly because the island sealed its borders, banning almost all travel. For two years, there was little COVID in Australia. But once almost every Australian was vaccinated, the government lifted its lockdown. COVID cases soared. Population adjusted. Australia now has had more COVID cases than the U.S., but far fewer deaths, partly because when Australia stopped its lockdown, Omicron was circulating, and the Omicron strain is less deadly. Were Australia's strict lockdowns worth it? You are bending my arm backwards. The average Australian lived two weeks longer because the country's strict rules limited COVID spread. But would you want to deal with Australia's authoritarian lockdown to live two weeks longer? I wouldn't. And it turns out people in China don't want that either. They're chanting that they don't want COVID tests. They want freedom. Protesting's illegal in China, so these people risked their lives. Here, factory workers threw barricades at security guards in white hazmat suits. The workers have been forced to stay inside an iPhone factory for weeks to keep them safe from COVID. After the protests... China did a U-turn and lifted most of its severe COVID rules. What can America learn from all this? We now know that draconian lockdowns can save lives, but lockdowns hurt people financially. New York lost 400,000 jobs since the start of the pandemic. Florida gained 400,000. Also, kids in lockdown states suffered. Obesity increased in New York by five percentage points. Just because New York kept schools closed? Well, in Florida, where schools reopened sooner, obesity actually fell a little. Kids' education suffered an historic setback. Scores decreased by the largest amount ever recorded. In Sweden, which never closed its primary schools, kids suffered no learning loss. I get that we know more now. Three years ago, terrified politicians just wanted to do something. But next pandemic, I wish they'd be a little humble, except that they don't know everything. All of us have different values about safety versus freedom.
Life's better when we individuals get to make our own decisions. You get to make your own decisions about what you watch. Glad you decided to watch this video. If you like our videos, please click that button. Help us make more. Comic book superheroes. It's Superman! Superman, Batman, Spider-Man. These franchises made DC and Marvel billions. But have you noticed? The comics today are different. The new Superman, Jonathan Kent, will be bisexual. Here he is, kissing his boyfriend. Robin's now bisexual, too. This upsets comic creator Eric July. Why? Let's make the world better for gay people. He became bisexual out of nowhere. It was so obviously something that was done for political gain. But the writer of the gay Superman story says gay people thank him. People saying that they saw this news and burst into tears. They make it seem as if the only way that you can relate to a character is because he, you're, you're gay and that character's gay, which is nonsense. My, my favorite character has been Batman. I ain't got Bruce Wayne money and I'm not rich uh, like that. I'm certainly not white. July points out that there have long been gay comic superheroes, but what's new is that DC and Marvel are changing the identity of established characters. The new Batman is black. Sun Spider is like Spider-Man, except she's a lesbian who uses a wheelchair. And Iron Man is a teenage black girl. Maybe this is progress. When I was a kid, all the characters were white, so it's a good thing more are non-white. But they've been just reduced to just being an item to pander to certain audiences that aren't really buying into it. They sure aren't. Marvel and DC no longer have the best-selling graphic novels. Now the best-sellers are manga books from Japan. Often they aren't even in color, yet now they're the biggest sellers. Marvel and DCs aren't even in the top 20. They turned off their audience by focusing and hyper-emphasizing the social justice element of it. Does the evil character Modoc look familiar? The face of that character obviously was Donald Trump. They wanted to paint him as a villain. It's bad art. Marvel hired leftist writer Ta-Nehisi Coates to write a Captain America series. Coates turned the villain, Red Skull, into a bizarre version of Jordan Peterson. The comic promotes equality now. Stop hate now. That's a good thing. When you have to tell your audience by, let's say, a character holding a sign during some protest, that certainly tells me you're not that creative. But protesting is what superheroes do now. Here's Superman's son leading a strike for the climate. They're a vehicle for these advocates of social justice. Brought to us by capitalists. These people aren't stupid, I assume. I thought that capitalism would be a break on the silliest of the woke world. But in this case, they're just sabotaging their own projects. It's basically mainstream modern, like, let's say leftism. When people are like, would you please get your politics out of my comic books? This comic writer mocks her critics. Captain America is a social justice warrior. And if you don't like my politics, don't buy my book. These guys are writing material for their peers. So even if uh, the son of Superman falls completely off the charts like it did, right? 
it does, it's still a win in their mind. Marvel even named some superheroes Snowflake and Safe Space. Snowflake is non-binary and goes by they, them. <laughs> okay, that's fine. It is. Uh, I guess you can make the argument, but the fact that they were, he was leading with that, I think, was the problem. She's a group home and foster kid who is volunteering at a uh, senior center. Fan reaction to this preview video was horrendous. Marvel decided not to even release this comic. I wanted to ask Marvel and DC why they seem fine with losing market share, but they wouldn't talk to me. At least their loss gives new opportunities to independent creators like Eric July. He just released his first comic. Here's his superhero. And he has plans for more. You've raised more than $3 million. Yes, $3.7 million. This is something that people wanted. The market will decide that, but July understands something that Marvel and DC apparently no longer do. Capitalism is about giving more people what they want. Are we at Stossel TV giving you what you want? Please let us know. We know about Black Lives Matter, but there's also a group called Black Guns Matter, started by Maj Toure. Everybody's Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, except when it's time for black people to defend their lives. Toure says freedom's everything. To defend his freedom, he carries a gun wherever he goes. This is my human right. And if anybody wants to come like chase me down about that, let's go to court. He wants others to arm themselves especially people who live in high-crime neighborhoods. You want to put more guns in the very neighborhoods where there are the most shootings. Listen, evil will persist. The only thing that's going to stop evil are good, solid people strong enough to stop them. His group sells shirts that say, make criminals afraid again. Absolutely. Criminals should be definitely afraid. If you're robbing people and carjacking, I want you to know that we're going to arm our community to deal with you very, very properly. More guns in the hands of citizens, he says, deters criminals and leads to less crime. There is evidence for that. More guns may lead to less crime, but they'll also lead to more accidental shooting. That's under the assumption that those gun owners aren't getting training. That's the break. Instead of letting it go oh. all the way up. Training is what Toure does. Instead of up, you want those thumbs forward. Years ago, he held his first Black Guns Matter event in Philadelphia. You expected 30 people? How many showed up? 300, and we had to feed them all. And it was beautiful. His group now teaches classes all around America. We're teaching absolute beginners that want to know how to be safe and responsible firearms owners. If you're threatened, he says, you need a gun and need to know how to use it. No one's coming to save me. I have to save and protect myself and my family myself. I'm the bad guy. I'm coming to kill you because I want that sweet bandana you got. What do you do? You don't have a gun. I got trouble then. You die. Or, or, or you have a firearm and you say, don't move. His classes are popular. The number of black gun owners is surging. Last year, almost all gun stores said they increased sales to black people. These aren't the faces we normally see when the U.S. talks about gun rights. The fastest growing group of gun buyers is now blacks. Patting yourself on the back. I made it so. 
When you made it so? Absolutely. Would have happened anyway. We said in 2015, 2016, we wanted the black community to be the largest gun buying demographic in America. Why do you want it to be the largest group? Because gun control is racist. Why is gun control racist? It was literally started to literally stop black people from having the means to defend themselves. That's true. Some colonies passed special rules that banned gun ownership by black people. Before the Civil War, Tennessee changed its constitution to say only free white men have a right to bear arms. Virginia declared it illegal for free blacks to carry any firelock. All gun control is racist. Later, when local governments wouldn't protect black people, many took up arms to protect themselves. There was less lynching where blacks owned guns. Ain't doing it to black communities that's armed. Toure says gun control is still racist. It's still racist now? Absolutely. Let's take the state of California. If you live in Oakland, if you live in Compton, the chances of you getting a license to carry, even though the Second Amendment is clear, right, is very little. But if you live in Brentwood, if you live in Orange County, if you live in Beverly Hills, the uh, issue rate for that license to carry goes up. In addition, who's arrested more for firearms possession? Not robbery, not rape, not homicide, black and brown folks. The narrative that anyone with a firearm is a bad guy is a pervasive theme, especially if you are in an urban environment and if you happen to be black. That's the reason Toure teaches people follow the rules and communicate with law enforcement. If you don't articulate these things very well, it's very easy for um, corrupt portions or ignorant portions of law enforcement or other people to just think it's bad. If you don't articulate it, if you don't say, yeah, I have a gun to protect Myself. Boom. And this is where the double standard lies. White folks don't got to articulate their position the same way. Toure repeatedly refers to the Second Amendment's right to keep and bear arms. All of the facts and the data are in favor of respect for the Second Amendment, especially in the black community. Hope you learned something from that video. If you'd like to help us make more, please click that button. First, let me deal with uh, two big issues that uh, my friend and a man I have tremendous respect for, and I have never believed I have to agree on every subject with people I respect. It's, it, if I have to agree on every subject with anyone, I will agree with no one. The only person I agree on every subject with is me and the same for you, and the same for everybody else. So, it, but I, I, if I don't mention Tucker, then I, I'm sort of not mentioning the elephant in the room, and he is one great asset, one great elephant, as it were. But, for example, we should be preoccupied with our borders, not Ukraine's borders. I don't understand why that is a choice. Why can't we be preoccupied with both? I, I, it, 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 we have the money. If we didn't spend such staggering sums that we waste in this country, we would have more money. But that's a separate issue. The fact is that it's not either or. And it's not Ukraine's borders and our borders. 
because it's, they're different issues. Ours is illegal immigration. Theirs is the wiping out of a state. <laughs> okay, so just just for the record. All right, so I, I, I don't understand the... I, I take it back. I understand the arguments in English. I understand the English. I don't understand the point. If we didn't give Ukraine a penny, would we be more preoccupied with the American border? Answer that, please. If you have the argument in your mind, first we have to take care of our borders. We didn't take care of our borders the day Joe Biden became president. The problem is Joe Biden, not Ukraine. If, if, if we had a Republican president, and certainly Donald Trump, both would have been taken care of. He would have armed Ukraine, and we would have had border security. I wish he had finished building the wall to begin with, but that's, that's another matter. So just... I want to get rid of that argument, and I'll get rid of another one in a moment. The notion that we have to be preoccupied with our borders has nothing to do with arming Ukraine. Nothing. We should be preoccupied with our borders. We were not under Biden before Putin invaded Ukraine. Is that correct? So the issue is a non sequitur. Okay. Next. We have too many problems here. Let's fix those first. This has been said by Americans who opposed every war that we were in. World War One, World War Two. There was not much opposition to World War Two, to be honest. There was a fair amount to World War One, although generally speaking, there was great support for it. And then, of course, Vietnam, that was very unpopular among half the population. And the argument was given, let's take care of our, uh, our problems first. The argument is endless. Since we will always have problems, what you're really saying is, let's not help any other country that is at war. I supported our staying in Afghanistan. What I realize is, this is not meant to insult anyone, obviously, but everyone taking a position on any matter has to ask how much of it is emotion and how much is it rational. The argument, what are we going to do, stay in Afghanistan forever, was an emotional argument. It was not a rational argument. Let's say the answer is yes. What did it cost us? Very, very few American casualties and a a much more stable country, not to mention, which matters to me because I'm religious and I think God will ask me, how did you help others during your lifetime? And I don't understand religious Americans being isolationists. I understand secular Americans who are isolationists, but not religious Americans. We're in the richest country on the face of the earth, and we shouldn't help countries that are being devoured by evil? To which the answer is always, Oh, so you want us to be the world's policeman, Dennis? I do, in fact. 
Because if we're not the world's policemen, China will be, or Russia will be, or even worse, the United Nations will be. That's why. The world will not have a policeman. Those of you who say America should not be the world's policeman, you are simply using the left's argument of defund the police. Except you're doing it on a global scale, and they do it on a domestic scale. You are just as much for defund the police on Earth as they are defund the police in America. I don't hold that. The world stinks, and America has been a blessing until the left has started to ruin it. It is less of a blessing today. That is a fact, tragically. But it is still better than most. Now, as, let's go to specific arguments with regard to Ukraine. China is watching and has been shocked, shocked by the American and Western response. Now, I may eat my words. They may invade Taiwan in any event. But my, my take is this has forestalled an attack on Taiwan. The world has come to the aid of Ukraine and is giving Russia a very bloody nose, a bloody eye, a bloody nose, bloody cheekbone, a smashed face. And China is watching. China is also watching the staggering superiority of American weapons to Russian weapons. That is not a little thing. In China, where the only thing that matters to that despicable regime is power, now, she is in trouble. So what he, he might invade Taiwan, because that's what tyrants do to deflect from their incompetence. But otherwise, what has happened in Ukraine, I think, has forestalled an attack on Taiwan. I'll take your calls. Because you're mine. All right, everybody. I made uh, an argument for arming Ukraine partially by responding to the arguments that I find to be uh, incoherent, even when articulated by people I adore, like Tucker Carlson. And it doesn't in any way diminish my respect or regular listening to him. Again, people have a tendency, and everybody has to fight it, and you can, you can win if you fight it. Oh, I really like X. I've gotten these letters all through my career. Like, you know, I really, really adored you. Listening for 20 years, and then you said, and I realize I can no longer listen to you. And I've actually read some of them on the air, not because I'm hurt, but because I wanted to exemplify this tendency in people. It's called splitting. It's a psychological thing. You're either perfect or a piece of crap. I got the term from Dr. Stephen Marmer, the psychiatrist, who comes on the uh, Happiness Hour periodically and has done some PragerU videos. It's a psychological term. You're, you're either perfect or garbage. People do that to parents. First, they're perfect, 
then they see a flaw, oh, they're, they're, they're awful. Now, there are positions, like the never-Trumpers, who lost me. I admit it. People that I had, I had adored myself and then took the position that a Democrat, that it is better for the country to have a left-wing regime, and I use the term regime, now that we have political prisoners, than Donald Trump. If there was ever a purely emotional argument, that was it. People have to fight their heart. And do you shall not follow your heart or your eyes, after which you prostitute yourselves. Deuteronomy. You should read my commentary on Deuteronomy, the Rational Bible. It's the third of five volumes to come out. That's where I get my values from. I don't follow my heart. I follow my values and my faculty of reason. I follow my heart when I when I choose what uh, what music I want to hear that night. What uh, what restaurant I'd like to go to. What movie I'd like to see. Okay, let's go to your calls here. Uh, Cleveland, Joe. Thank you for calling, Joe. Hello. Dennis, it's an honor to speak with you today, although I have a very different opinion about Ukraine. I believe you have it backwards. I think when the U.S. acts as the world's policeman, what it's really doing is motivating and supporting authoritarian states such as China to increase their own military spending. China is doing two things. They're doing a road and belt initiative and they're increasing their military. The military is specific for Taiwan and the China Sea. The Road and Belt Initiative is more commerce-orientated for the whole world. For the past, you know, number of decades, the U.S. has focused on using the military to engage with the rest of the world rather than diplomacy and free market economics. That has hurt us badly. It's leading to the current ongoing collapse of our nation. The problem is the out-of-control military-industrial complex. They supported a coup in Ukraine in 2014. Valerie Newland bragged about this, that she spent a billion dollars to bring that about. And the point of doing that was to further expand the U.S. military-industrial complex using Russia as a kind of a foil. That so sets you, up you, you think, all right, so you tell me, you think that the intervention, our intervention in Ukraine is motivated by the military-industrial complex, not by geopolitical or moral uh, forces? The geopolitical aspect <clears throat> is part of how the military-industrial complex operates. Right, in no, other no, words... No, 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 but, but please, you, you know, I uh, look, after you tell me how much you adore me, I'm certainly... <laughs> I'm certainly, you know, placed in a position of of just wanting to respond as gracefully as possible. I just want to understand, do you believe that if we didn't have a military-industrial complex, we would have allowed Ukraine to be attacked and devoured by Russia? There are no moral or geopolitical or American interests 
in defending Ukraine is what you're saying. It's purely cynical profiteering by the military-industrial complex. Is I that, only... that is, number one. Yeah. Number one, that is correct. Mm-hmm. Number two, the U.S. is the one that instigated the conflict. In other words, the only reason that Russia has invaded Ukraine, passed the Crimea, granted Russia clearly wanted Crimea, uh, is that the U.S. instigated the conflict. It, it is not to Russia's benefit to have a kind of civil war amongst its close relatives, the, the U.S. Why, why didn't they invade while Trump was president? It, because there was no reason to. The only reason they invaded now is because the U.S. carried out a coup in 2014, and then their allies yeah, but, shelled. But, yeah, but, their, but, but Trump was president from 2016 to 2020. That's right. And the, the, the Ukrainian government shelled eastern Ukraine for years. And the, Russia begged them to stop, tried every approach they could. And then finally, you know, a year over a year, a little over a year ago now, they had they attempted negotiations and then finally gave a kind of uh, ultimate. OK, all right. Listen, I, I gave you a lot of time. Thank you. I, I got to let you go only because of time. This is the, I appreciate your call very much. I know you articulated what many people think. I'd like to note another thing. Finland and Sweden which had always resisted joining NATO, are they also military-industrial complex-dominated? The, is the entire is Western Europe basically a bunch of sheep pacifists until now? Are they, have they had this massive ma- military-industrial complex operating in their countries as well? All right, everybody, Dennis Prager here, defending American intervention in Ukraine. I've given you a whole series of arguments. It, uh, it reminds me, by the way, these are the sorts of things that you might want to listen to again or play for people who differ with you and wherein you agree with me. So there's something called Pragertopia where you get every show without commercials. And now at Pragertopia, there's Pragertopia Unlimited. You have access not only to every show without commercials, but to every one of my hundreds of lectures at the Prager store. I presume it includes my Bible commentary. Not the one, not the new one that I wrote. That's a separate issue. That's obviously, that's a book. But I did give hundred or hundreds of lectures prior to the writing of the book. That's at Pragertopia.com. For those still unpersuaded, the last point that I made is worth noting again, that Finland and Sweden, which had never joined NATO, want to now. That's how scared they are of Russia. Now, why would they be scared? Do I believe there's a military-industrial complex? Yes, I do. Do I believe that it makes foreign policy like this? No, I don't. If there were no military-industrial complex, whatever that precisely means, we would still have intervened. Intervention doesn't come free. It costs a lot of money. 
I don't know where all the money goes. I would like to know where all the money goes. The amount of corruption on planet Earth can drown the planet. As for the argument that the Ukrainian government is corrupt, I don't know how corrupt it is. I'm sure it is. I can now say with great sadness that America is in no position with the Democrats running the country of speaking about any other corrupt country. The amount of corruption in this country because of the Democratic Party can drown this country. So if you don't aid corrupt countries, you can't aid America. Most of you know that to be true. The corruption is staggering. The deep state in the United States, the, the vicious, vile, lying heads of intelligence in this country, 51 of whom signed a statement a month before the election in 2020, that the Hunter Biden notebook was Russian disinformation. Every single one of them lied on behalf of the Democratic Party. The heads of the CIA, the DIA, the FBI, they work for the Democratic Party. That is as corrupt as it gets in any third world country. Sorry. Okay, let's see here. Uh, take another dissenting call because I'm not a left winger. I welcome dissent. Ian in Redmond, California. Hello. Oh, hi, Dennis. Pleasure to talk to you. You hear about this new Rambo doctrine being discussed again in, in, in Texas, saying that any political leader voting to send troops to a conflict must first send their firstborn to the front lines before being allowed to vote on sending troops? I haven't heard about it. Oh, oh, oh Dennis, oh, look, mystically, magically, suddenly no more, uh, no more uh, wars that America has to send troops to. How about that? I don't understand your argument. Is that what you would like? We should send no troops anywhere. Anyway, we're not sending troops. What what happened to my call? Oh, I'm sorry. I feel bad. Okay, I hope you can get back in, but a lot of people are calling. I don't know what happened. Uh, I I don't quite understand it. Look, every war we have been in, people have opposed sending troops. Nobody is for sending troops to Ukraine. I'm not. So I don't know why the, I don't know why that issue was raised. Forgive me. Okay, Bradenton, Florida. John, hello. Hey, Dennis. Hi. I'm glad you can hear me. The uh, yeah, I've been listening, and of course there's a deep state, and of course Hunter Biden, all that stuff. But just another, I'm just chiming in on what you just lately said over the break. Yeah, but that's not what but you called a, on. So tell me no, what no, you called no, about. No, that's not what. Right. Uh, well. There's a lot of history here. The, uh, somebody mentioned 2014. In 2014, Obama added a line item to the NATO doctrine that was going to bring Crimea. And, and a month later, Putin took Crimea. And that's, that was 2014. That's just history. Right. This and reminds me of the, this right. reminds me of the Bay of the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis history. All right. Hold on there. I... I, I uh... The, the the summary of the call was, is Dennis in favor of Ukraine joining NATO? The answer is no. Just, just uh, that's what I thought you were going to say. Anyway, thank you for calling.
be fulfilled and happy. What's the key to living a happy life? Good question. What is the key? It's like breathing. <laughs> happiness researchers say a lot of happiness is genetic. I once reported on these sisters, the Giggle Twins. <laughs> they laughed so much. It was a strain to be with them. <laughs> it wasn't anything their parents did. The sisters had been separated at birth. They didn't even meet until their 30s. But they were similarly happy all the time. Oh, my beloved sister. <laughs> we find other twins that are remarkably low on such characteristics. Twins researcher Thomas Bouchard. We're looking at about a 50% effect of genetic influences. There are certain brains that are more predisposed to experience happiness compared to other brains. You're just born with it. Just born with it. Psychiatrist Richard Davidson says babies who smile a lot have more electrical activity on the left front part of their brains. And a brain scan can test adults' capacity for happiness. My results were not good news. You're not a hopeless case, but uh, you know, you can stand some improvement. Someone like you can become happier if you want to. Professor Sonia Lubomirsky, who researches happiness today, says everyone can do things to become happier. Just social life, socializing is hugely associated with being happy. But I'm an introvert. I don't want to socialize. Okay, we actually did a study where we asked both introverts and extroverts for one week to act more extroverted. They told test subjects, talk to some strangers, like a barista at a coffee shop. We thought that it would be kind of exhausting for an introvert like you. And introverts in the study did resist. They were like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to listen to my music. I want to read. But they were told. On your next commute on the train, you have to talk to someone. And they did, and it made them happy. When we asked people, what makes you happy? Most said, being social. Being with friends. Spending time with family. family. Yep. Spending time with my children. You don't need to be super outgoing, says Lubomirsky. You can just kind of be a little bit more social than you otherwise are. You know, call up an old friend. Calling an old friend matters more if the friend doesn't get many calls. Doing something kind makes the doer happy. An act of kindness at a St. Pete Starbucks drive-thru inspired an 11-hour chain of paying it forward. Here's a case where such kindness expanded. A customer at this coffee shop quietly paid for the person in line behind her. That person then did the same thing. In all, 378 people decided to pay it forward. It makes you feel like, oh, the world is a good place. While Lubomirsky's studies found extroverted behavior increased happiness, those she asked to do something kind for others, like pay for someone's coffee, they did even better. Other researchers gave people an app that periodically asked, are you happy now? And what are you doing now? At the top, intimacy, making love. Not shocking. The key to happiness is, is connecting with others. After making love, the happiest were mostly group activities like cultural events and sports, but also some solitary things. Maybe I'm just looking for an excuse to get out of social events, but I notice gardening, a walk in nature. These aren't group activities, social activities. That's true. Anything that you can do to sort of improve your sort of sense of personal growth makes people happy. So you need to kind of find what works for you to bring you happiness, and that's going to be different for different people. Down near the bottom of the list of activities were texting and social media. Things we do a lot. We're not crazy. We're doing it because we think we're getting something out of it. 
there's, I think, pretty good evidence of harm from smartphone use. Especially for young people. Keep your hands high if you have some kind of streak going, any streaks going. One Snapchat feature is streaks. Now a streak is made when you and another Snapchatter have snapped each other for at least two days in a row. Streaks are popular, but oddly at this high school when a speaker asks. Keep your hands high if you like streaks. Almost all hands go down. Isn't that interesting? The speaker happens to be my son, who gives talks at schools about social media. Isn't it wild that so many of us are doing something that we don't actually like doing? We did a study where we asked people to give up their smartphones as much as they can uh, over the course of eight days. And we found that people who did reported being more satisfied with their life, more kind of present and attentive, less lonely, less stressed out. And which Americans are happiest? Several researchers said the Amish. The Amish give up not just cell phones, but even electricity. Are they really happy? We once persuaded some to take a happiness quiz, and sure enough, all rated themselves happy or extremely happy. Why? One Amish woman gave this answer. You have lots of cousins, maybe 100 or 150, that would always be there to take care of you if you have a need. In addition to having lots of family around, the Amish obviously are religious. Religious people are happier. Religious and spiritual people are happier. I think Jesus gives me the power and the ability to be happy. Finally, happiness is not the only important thing in life. Unhappiness can spark creativity. Just to kind of walk through life happy is to miss 90% of life. Conductor Rick Westerfield says he's happy, but he's also troubled. I think that's what helps me be a musician. You kind of feel all this angst in the music, all this pain in the music. Van Gogh cut off his ear and produced his famous self-portrait. Beethoven was so unhappy he was sometimes suicidal. Yet he gave the world Ode to Joy. Thanks for watching this video. Hope it made you happy. If you like these, please remember to subscribe and hit the notification bell. That'll make sure you get the next one.